Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musician shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today, I'm very pleased to say, is George Bramble, founder of Beco, a sustainable pet products company. Inspired by childhood holidays spent outdoors with his trusted dog companions and bolstered by a degree in geography and environmental sciences, great combination, George sought to challenge the impact people are making on the planet. With a dog's carbon footprint potentially twice as big as a 4x4 car, I didn't know that, George spotted a gap in the market for sustainable pet products. Knowing the value of simple offcuts from chopsticks, George used all his savings, £15,000, I hope that's right, sourced chopstick factories in China and launched Beko and their first product, a bamboo dog bowl, in 2009. Aiming to create the highest quality pet products with the least possible impact on the environment, Beko is now a certified B Corp company, and their pet food recipes, toys and accessories can be found in more than 40 countries. George Bramble's my business shaper. He's the founder of Beko, and they make properly sustainable food and properly sustainable stuff for your pets. And there's lots of pets, George, rummaging around since COVID. Apparently, I have a fact here, you can tell me if this is right, first one I'll get wrong, 11% of all households got a new pet during COVID, and that's according to the Pet Food Manufacturers Association, a fine association they are too. Absolutely. Elliot, great to be on the show. Yeah, it, that sounds about right. Through COVID, obviously, dog ownership went through the roof. You only need to walk around a park in London to see how many new dog owners there are. And we were very lucky in that sense and blessed to be in, the, in an industry that was pandemic proof. And frankly, the opposite, the industry's grown quite a bit since. But you didn't do it for that because you, you were involved in, in this industry way before there were pandemics and hopefully um, you know, there won't be any more. But Back in the day, did it seem like a logical thing to do for you to set this up? Or was it a moment of madness, George, that you continue to regret every day of your life? Well, yeah, a bit of both, I'd say. I mean, we've grown quite organically as a business. In that sense, we've been a bit different to a sort of private equity-backed, you know, startup. We we grew through bank loans and credit card debt and sort of grew slowly. When I set it up, it was back in 2008, of course, in the middle of another recession. And... As you mentioned earlier, I'd studied geography and environmental sciences. I'd been brought up with pets and we were kind of looking for businesses that frankly were sort of recession-proof and something I had a passion in. And um, my then business partner, Toby, he was a product designer and we sort of sort of, what about pets? And um, and that's how we got into it. And uh, yeah, the industry's moved a lot in the last 10 years. When we started, I, I remember going to Crufts with our bamboo pet bowls and I remember a lady coming up and picking up the bowl and looking at it and going, oh. It's a really nice looking bowl, yeah. How much are they? And as she was about to put it in a bag, I said, oh, and it's made from uh, bamboo, plant-based plastic. So, you know, you're obviously reducing your use of petroleum plastic and, you know, it's a more environmentally friendly option. She looked at me and thought I was mad and said, why would I want an environmentally friendly pet bowl and stormed off? And I thought this is going to be an uphill battle. And uh, I'm pleased to say that over the last 10 years, obviously consumer sentiment towards the environment has changed massively. We sort of talk about pre-Attenborough and post-Attenborough and, you know, David Atom has had a massive impact on, on the way people think about things. But um, I'm pleased to say that, yeah, we're still going and still growing. And, and that's nearly 12 years on. In your own words, when you first started this 
idea of an environmentally friendly approach to the world of pets. As you said, it was not fashionable then. How did you describe the business to people? What did you say you were doing? I mean, we've always sort of described it the same way, which is, you know, we talk about striving for sustainability because you're on a journey, right? If you're in business, a sustainable business is a bit of an oxymoron, but it's a journey. But to start with, it was simply to to make the best possible dog and cat products whilst causing as little harm to the environment. And that's kind of stays true today. Mm. And your first job, though, had nothing to do with this. I, I read somewhere it was at Bacardi, Absolutely. which was a, a business I, I knew well at that time. was in advertising, and uh, they were a client, actually. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so incredibly different place. But what did you learn there that was actually, and I don't mean that you learn lots of stuff, Bacardi's a great company, he says quickly. Yeah. Um, what did you learn there that you could port across to the new business? Well, I mean... The reason I, I joined Bacardi and had a great time is I'd just left university and trying to work out what I wanted to do. I sort of talked about maybe going into the army, maybe going into finance. Um, and uh, my father, who, who was a surgeon, um, no experience in business, sort of sat down and said, well, I can't really advise you on, on business, but what, what do you want to do in the end? I said, run my own company. And he said, well, you're probably better off going and working for a, a big FMCG brand and, and learning various skills. So I started at Bacardi and learned a bit of sales, a bit of trade marketing. Um, and it was really, really helpful. And entrepreneurial as well, family-owned Cuban business. I mean, it's not your standard multinational FMCG business. Absolutely, exactly. So still private, pretty big in sort of our terms, but not as big as a Diageo or something like that. And what was great about that was I was given my own territory, selling to pubs and bars, and uh, I actually looked after Brighton. And um, I was sort of given a car, a laptop and a phone and told to get on with it. And you were like, this is fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is this work? My, it, you yeah. went back to your father's and said, Dad, good advice. <laughs> exactly. Well the, well, the best part was when I managed to get southwest London, because that's where I lived. And we were actively encouraged to go out and spend time in the bars at the weekends and, <laughs> and expense drinks. So that was that was good fun. But yeah, I learned I learned a lot there. I, I guess I learned you know how some of the best brands present themselves and build brand fans and uh, loyalty. I mean, I was working for brands like Jack Daniels. I mean, you know, the best at, at creating a brand, um, Bombay Sapphire, Grey Goose Vodka. So, and of course Bacardi, and and also just. Sort of, I ran my territory and selling. You know, I was selling essentially door to door. And if you're starting your own business, you need to be able to sell. So that was very helpful. But I think actually, after a couple of years, I realised I wanted to do my. Own th- I knew I wanted to do my own thing, and I wanted to do it quickly. Um, the big corporate world probably wasn't right for me. I didn't fancy sort of being on mm. that corporate ladder for twenty or thirty years. So actually, when I took the jump to BK, I probably learned more about business in, in six months at BK than I did in four years at Bacardi, in a sense. Although Bacardi gave me structure, it gave me all the things you get from working for a bigger business. And would you say if you were advising your younger self, go do it again, George, go work for a big company, even if it's not going to be for you long term? And, and therefore, would that also be the advice to young people that may come to you or younger people, of course, because you're very young, George, but younger people, would you say that to them? Would you say, do you know what, it's not necessary? I mean, my gut feeling would be follow your heart and it, whatever. I had this with my nephew recently, but I would say definitely get a couple of years' experience if you can in a bigger business because when I came out of university, I was so young and uh, I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't really. And getting a couple of years' experience in business world, 100%, I would advise that for sure. You've got plenty of time to start your own business.
Much more coming up from my guest George Bramble in a couple of minutes. Right now, they're beginning to hear a taster from the Mishcon Innovation Series, a podcast that you can find on all the major podcast platforms. Natasha Knight invites business founders to share their industry insights and practical advice for those of you thinking about getting into an industry and starting your very own thing. In this clip, focused on retail and the world of manufacturing, Julie Dean, founder and CEO of the Cambridge Satchel Company, confronts the idea that only a certain kind of person can be an entrepreneur. The Mishcon Innovation Series. Insights from founders for your future business. In association with Jazz Shapers, with Mishkon Derea. It's quite unique, I think, in showing how doable it is. The fact that this woman who is in her late 40s had just had an eight-year career break to bring up her children... (laughs) decided to code her own website, go into an area that she knew nothing about, and then start a factory and work with Comme de Garçon and Vivian Westwood and real kind of like royalty and start it all with just £600 and never put the family home at risk. <laughs> you know, if, if you can't look at that and think, oh my God, if she can do it, then yes, I'm going to give this a go. And if you can't look at that and think, look how that transformed her life and the life of her children. But, oh, the adventures, you know, the, the craziness, the insanity of thinking, this is the person then that, that went on to get a CBE. You know, this is the person that travelled to Detroit with Richard Branson to, to mentor some companies. She had literally no experience of this before doing it. If you can't find that gives you hope, <laughs> then I really don't know, you know, what more could. So that is the biggest gift of the Cambridge Satchel Company is its hopeful ability to inspire others. The Mishcon Innovation Series. In association with Jazz Shapers with Mishkon Derea. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkon Derea. It's business, but it's personal. All our former business shapers await you on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And you can, of course, hear this very programme again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest there is George Bramble, founder of Bico, a sustainable pet products company. So the thing that I'm really interested in is the environmental... I'm going to use the word obsession. It doesn't really mean mm. it, but just, just passion for mm. it. For, from your perspective, you went on and studied it. It was there from a young age. Why? Why? I mean, we, we now live in 2022 in a time when everyone goes, well, of course we ought to protect the environment. We worry about glaciers melting. Mm. We look at terrible things happening around the world. It's pretty obvious mm. that the science is saying we've got a problem. When you were growing up, and when I was growing up, and I'm older than you, I remember people saying the same thing, but most people said, oh, yeah, but they're a bit kooky. It's, nothing's going on. Why did it land so hard for you? Well, I think I, I studied, obviously studied environmental sciences. So I guess I got insight into it earlier than a lot of people. But, uh, but, but what also, made you study that? That's, I guess, what I'm interested in, because that's a, that's a thing in itself then. I imagine that's a pretty novel uh, thing. I mean, it was, I guess it was an interest, and, the, and, and my passion probably, I just said, I got back from the Outer Hebrides. All my childhood holidays were spent on remote Scottish islands. And that was out in boats and walking along beaches. And, you know, last week with my children, we were up there and, you know, had a moment on the boat where we saw porpoises, seals, sea eagles, uh, gannets, all within the space of about 20 minutes. And and when you see things like that, I guess I was brought up with that. And so I kind of took it for granted. But 
But when you see also the plastic that's washed up on the beaches, these remote beaches that don't get cleaned, and I enjoy spending so much time in the environment. So that's kind of what, I guess, spurred my passion for the environment. And then, obviously, I wanted to set up a business, and and it wasn't that I'm not saying that if you're in business, ultimately, it wasn't going to be 100% eco-friendly or anything like that. It was just about setting up a business and trying to create a business that caused less harm. You know, and today I'm proud to say we're B Corp certified. We give 1% of profits back to environmental causes. And we're also certified climate neutral. So it's just trying to do business in a better way and giving consumers the opportunity to buy products that cause less impact but also don't cost a huge amount of money. And ultimately, we always look at it, we need to create a great pet product first. No one's going to buy a dog toy that's eco-friendly if it doesn't work or isn't durable. And then the environmental piece comes, comes second, but it's absolutely central to everything we do. Is that true of you as a, as a person as well, the business first piece, but it's got to be environmentally friendly? Because as you were talking about the Outer Hebrides, you're talking about all the, the, the different species that you see in a 20-minute thing. I'm wondering... Would George love to have just actually been some kind of conservationist? Would he have been quite happy rummaging around being in the outdoors the whole time? And that notion of being in an office or being rather in a work environment is anathema to him. Is that, you know, because sometimes you go, was I meant to be ending up in a court? You know, you say not corporate, but actually (laughs) you're you're running a business. Or or, or does that, is there no tension in there at all for you? I mean, certainly there is a bit of tension. I mean, I say coming back from two weeks in the Outer Hebrides and in you can just feel the weight on your shoulders as you drive down south and and you sort of get back into London. You're like, well, let's just move to the Hebrides. But then you kind of have to, your wife remind you that actually for six months of the year, the weather is horrendous and it's only light for five hours. But no, I think there's definitely an element of one day I would love to be doing something like that in the environment. And, uh, you know, whether it's running charities or, or whatever, spending time doing that kind of stuff. But... I'm equally very competitive and driven and I love the buzz of being in London and running a business and trying to, I guess, change something or build something. So, yeah, I guess it's business first. Yes, I think I want to run a business that makes a profit. I'm not ashamed of that. For businesses to have an impact, they need to be successful and they need to grow. And so we're kind of business first, making great pet products enriching pets lives that's what it's all about and pet owners lives you know one of our biggest products is our best-selling product of poop bags believe it or not um so very proud to say i make pet waste bags but they obviously for for a pet owner once a day or twice a day sorry having a poop bag that stands up to to the task is very very important for obvious reasons um so you know that's that's really what it's about your whole ethos in this business is about high quality and as I was looking at and researching prior to this conversation, it was the scepticism that you were met with in terms of other people going, well, hold on a minute, you, what, you want that level? I can't do that. Being discerning, finding the right people to partner with in, an, in a business where you're taking the environment seriously, how hard has that been? And how have you managed to find those people? Sometimes very hard. Certainly I remember the early days when we wanted to put free-range chicken in our, our pet food we went to all the manufacturers and, and they just said, you're mad, you know, we've only got intensively reared chicken or intensively reared chicken. It was There was no <laughs> option. Why would you want to put free-range chicken in dog food? And eventually I found a factory producer that would work with us who would source free-range chicken from a farm what we'd been to in Norfolk. So there were uphill struggles to start with. But yeah, it's a challenge. And 
the way we look at it is with our suppliers, we're always sort of working with them to improve. Like, no one's perfect. And you've got to sort of find ways around things and to improve things. And the main thing is as long as you've got that transparency and with your suppliers, then you can work together to, to make a better product. And that's what it's all about. And you said you were competitive, obviously, earlier. Is there the sense that it's going to be done? I'm going to sort this. Is it almost the harder it looks like it could be to make it happen, the more tenacious you become? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you ask my business partner or some of my colleagues, I mean, sometimes I think I'm, I'm probably too intense in that situation. But just can you really be too intense when you're running your own business? Because truthfully, the stakes couldn't be higher, right? If, it doesn't, if you're not fixing it, it's not going to get fixed, George. Well, that's right. And I remember a friend of me the other day said, uh, well, sort of advisor was like, you know, it's fine to say those things. Just just make sure you're smiling, George. <laughs> and uh, and say so sometimes I have to sort of take a deep breath and, and, you know, think about how I come across. But yeah, you're right. And, and that's what's great about being in a small business is whilst it keeps you up at night sometimes and it means that you don't switch off as much, which can have its impacts. It's also exciting. And that adrenaline and you know it mattering is really what drives you. And um, it's an adventure. And actually, I think that's why we've got an amazing team at Beco and that the people we've attracted believe in the mission to come and work at Beco and also want to be part of something where they can make a difference. Because if you're in a big organization, you don't have that kind of, right, we need to make this happen today. It's sort of, oh, it can happen tomorrow or the next day or whatever. And so... I think that's that's been great. And that urgency then is there every day rather than it being back in the dim, distant past when at the beginning, obviously, it was just you. Well, absolutely. And I think maintaining that urgency is really important in a business and something I try to try to do. But yeah, definitely my competitive streak of sometimes I have to take stock and, and say, well done, everyone, we're doing a great job rather than saying what's next. <laughs> You're going to keep saying what's next. And I'm going to keep saying what's next as well because it's my final chat with George coming up in a bit. And there's also some Gil Scott Heron just for you. That's all coming up here on Jazz FM. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You've talked about where you've been. You've talked about the fact that the world gets the point about the environment being not quite on life support, but not far off. We are we are hurtling towards serious problems for our generation, but much more for our children and our children's children. So the mission is really important, and therefore that sense of urgency is really important for you, I imagine, as you try and grow grow your business. How do you balance your ambitions for growth and doing brilliantly with ensuring that you bring people with you? Because, you know, that it's not panic that we all have, but there's a sense of drive that we've got to do stuff quickly. How do you manage that, and how does the team manage it? Well, uh, it's a good question. I mean, we... I'm lucky in the sense that I've got some people within the team that are self-starters and you know very driven in themselves. And I think what I've realized over the years in a small business is you hire people and you can help develop them and everything else, but you can't pull drag people kicking and screaming. You have to create an environment that is exciting, challenging, fun, get people to believe in the mission, which is the key, and believe in what we're doing. And then hopefully they, they get on the bus and, and go with you and actually, to an extent, drag you as well, drag you along as well. So, but it is, it is tricky. And I think the main thing is, is, you know, over the years I've had to teach myself that sometimes it's through encouragement, you know, positive reinforcement that you get more out of people. That's what I've learned rather mm. than, you know, the other way around of why, why haven't I got this on time or vice versa. And yeah, so it is a challenge. But 
I know we've got a great team that's um, going quickly in the right direction. And how do you personally get the balance right between stretch, financial stretch objectives versus, you know, not driving hard enough? I mean, is that just feel? George. Yeah, I think so. Because you talked about growing in a more evolutionary way rather than this kind of being pumped full of money and and then having these crazy targets. It sounds like you're much more steady as she goes. Uh, absolutely. I think growth is important for us, but it's not at all costs. And there are many businesses out there, especially in the FMCG world, consumer world, where it's top-line growth at all costs and, frankly, they don't care about the bottom line. We don't have that luxury because we, we're not, backed by private equity so sometimes you go a bit harder and then sometimes you have to rein it in a little and you know and mainly and focusing on creating a great product and and developing a great brand and being profitable is really important and looking towards the future you you remain positive despite what's going on environmentally is there a sense that actually that just makes you feel even stronger about the thing you're trying to do yeah 100 percent. and i think there's there has been a real shift in the last few years and, and we found it with um, dog ownership, a lot of younger pet owners, they really do buy into brands with a mission, not necessarily an environmental mission, but they do care. I mean, that's what they're talking about. You can get quite doom and gloom about it because, you know, it is a, a fairly serious situation we find ourselves in. But ultimately, I think it's much more important to celebrate small changes and, and improvements and and ultimately, I think a lot of people get phased by the fact that, you know, where do I start? And I think it's about encouraging people just to start with small things, whether it's recycling their things at home, whether it's washing their clothes every other day instead of every day. You know, little things like that we can all do at home. We had someone come into the office the other day who talked about, I think it was 40 ways to reduce your plastic usage. And they came in on a lunch break, got the whole team in. And it was fascinating. And there's just so many things I didn't even know you could do. Um, Go on, give me one. Well, there's one of the ones is you can get these bee wax. Instead of using cling film, you can get bee wax cloths that are covered in bee wax and you can bend them round on top of your food or food containers. So there's there's one, one tip. That's a good that's one. I've, I've got a family that's addicted to uh, cling film, it seems. Okay. And, well, and other coverings, go. B-wax. There you B-wax. Go. Who knew? A canvas covered in B-wax. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else has gone through, that has gone through. I'm, I, I, I take your advice and I will, I will do something about it. It's been really nice chatting to you, George. Good luck. Good luck with ensuring that through osmosis and other ways, the, the mission is is pushing Bico forward. Um and yeah, all the very, very best. Just before I let you disappear, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Humphrey Littleton's Bad Penny Blues. My father was very much into jazz, brought up in London in the 60s, spent a lot of time at Ronnie Scott's, and this is one of his favourites, so that's why I've chosen it. That was Humphrey Littleton with Bad Penny Blues, the song choice of my business shaper today, George Bramble. He talked about something very basic, which is that you have to be able to sell if you're going to set up a business. You have to be able to sell your products. He talked about following his heart and what great advice that was for him at the right time. He talked about not being able to drag people kicking and screaming towards a future. They have to believe in the mission. And if you don't describe and explain that mission, you ain't going to be able to do that. And finally... There's a lot of problems, there's a lot of naysayers, there's a lot of negativity. You've got to be able to, within all of that, celebrate small changes. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, 
but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazzshapers.